Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on World Footprints Radio. It's a wonderful day to travel and leave positive footprints. We're your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. And we're going to take you to a very special place today as we celebrate our nation's heroes. Today's World Footprints pays tribute to our nation's heroes, our men and women in uniform. From the red carpet of the GI Film Festival in Washington, D.C., we will share our conversations with three award-winning actors, Gary Sinise, William Devane, and Lou Diamond Phillips. We will also meet award-winning filmmaker Rodney Ray and budding filmmaker Chris Lavero. Then we'll chat with actor Sean Kanan, who is best known for his role as Deacon Sharp on The Young and the Restless. Sean joins us to talk about his journey from the Midwest to Hollywood and his travels with the USO. We welcome your comments at any time about anything we're doing. Email us at comments at worldfootprints.com. And also to contact us, you can do so from our website, worldfootprints.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter and our social networks from that page. Again, worldfootprints.com. The GI Film Festival is the first film festival in the nation to exclusively celebrate the successes and sacrifices of the service member through the medium of film. In remembrance of the 60th anniversary of the Korean War, the GI Film Festival hosted a congressional reception honoring Korean War veterans, and that's where we caught up with award-winning actor and former GI Film Festival GI Spirit Award winner, Gary Sinise. I'm here with Gary Tinnies at the GI Film Festival 2011. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Gary, when did this start for you, supporting veterans and people in the military? It's, it's, it's a combination of things. I have Vietnam, uh, I have veterans in my family and my wife's side are Vietnam veterans. On my side, I have World War II veterans. My uncles were in World War II and my grandfather was in the Army in World War I. My dad was in the Navy for a little while. So I have, uh, you know, I'm kind of surrounded by veterans, and, and uh, I got very involved with Vietnam veterans groups way back in the early 80s in, in the Chicago area. Uh, learned a lot about Vietnam through my, from my brothers, uh, my wife's two brothers. Um, then I did Forrest Gump, and I played a Vietnam veteran, a disabled Vietnam veteran. I got involved with a DAV and our disabled veterans, so I came to know a lot of people who have served in the military and have great respect for them. And then we got attacked on September 11th, and I, I could do. I just had to participate in some way in serving. And now, having you know been very, very active with supporting our military and military families for 10 years now, uh, I'm hooked. It's just something i got to do. It's just a part of my life. And, and I know that somebody like me can bring attention to various organizations that are doing something for the troops or you know, stories that need to be told out there so that people understand why we should be so grateful and appreciative of those who serve our, our country. It's a dangerous world out there. And if, uh, if something bad happens again, we're all going to be looking to the military to defend us and, and to try to prevent something bad from happening again. So I'm just trying to do what I can to keep them strong through these difficult times. I've heard so many stories from people I've talked to just today about how you've actually touched them from, you know, performing in the Lieutenant Dan band abroad, uh, people who have just been uh, uh, sent overseas. And there's a gentleman uh, that worked in Senator Graham's office 
as a result of you as an intern. Do you remember yeah, Yes, Andrew Kennard is yes. his name, a wonderful young guy. He actually recently came to visit me out in... Uh, in uh, he came out and visited me on the set of CSI New York, and he's just a wonderful guy. Unfortunately, uh, lost both of his legs in, in, in a bombing in Iraq. I met him uh, years ago, and uh, we've stayed in touch uh, throughout the years, and he wanted to work for Senator Graham, and somehow I knew somebody, and I just uh, I just mentioned it. I, I don't know that I had that much to do with it, but <laughs> I think I, I just brought it brought it to their attention a little bit, and he was able to go to work for Senator Graham, which he very much wanted to do, and he's just a really smart, very good guy, and he's given a lot for our country, and, uh, you know, helping our wounded warriors and, and them uh, and their families through these difficult uh, times uh, they're going through is something that makes me feel like uh, like I'm giving back, and they, they deserve everything. You, you, thank you so much for your service and everything you're doing. Thank you very much. The GI Film Festival also paid a special tribute to Hollywood patriots William Devane and Lou Diamond Phillips. Both actors were honored on the evening of the D.C. premiere of Flag of My Father, in which Devane starred in. Devane received the G.I. Choice Award, and Phillips received the G.I. Spirit Award. We caught up with both gentlemen on the red carpet. Well, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with me on the red carpet here. Um, what does it mean to you to, to accept this award tonight? Oh, it's great. Are you kidding? Any kind of award is great. I'm just glad they know that I'm alive. Of course you're alive. You know, I, I, oh, this gentleman here, I won't, uh, won't, won't say his name, but he asked me to ask you if you're his father. He's my father. That's Rodney. You're his father. Yeah. Right. <laughs> now, now you, you're well known um, for a lot of the, the uh, iconic characters you, you've played. Where does your emotion come from? And it has to come from a deeper place than just acting skills. Have you been involved with uh, the veterans? And do you, do you come from a military family? No, I'm, we're Irish, you know, cops and firemen. Cops, firemen, and anger. It's the director that has to draw that out of yeah, them. Yeah, he draws it out it, of you. I mean, you wouldn't believe how raw the talent was when it got on the set, but we were able to work with him and can get something going. <laughs> oh, well, it has been such a pleasure, and I know, I'm sure I won't see you for a while. Your birthday is three days after mine. Oh, and you're so kidding. I want to oh, wish you a good. happy early birthday. Yeah, happy birthday to you. That's great. One other thing, I heard uh, today when you were at Channel 4 that you were talking, and I'll, I'm going to quote verbatim, you were talking smack about the women on Knott's Landing versus Dallas. What's up with that? No, I was just joking, you know. they. I don't know why they're doing Dallas, but probably because there's more men than women. Right. right. You know. well, I was just joking. Show. I know, I know. I, it, but it'll get around, huh? Yeah. yeah, it's already over town already. You've got to get all kind of folks up. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Well, I'm so excited to be here with you, Lee Diamond Phillips. I mean, I, I, iconic uh, actor. Oh, and thank you. You know, it might surprise some that you actually grew up in a military family. We're here yes. at the GI 
Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your, your upbringing. And well, I was actually born on the, uh, the naval base in Subic Bay, the Philippines. And uh, my dad was in the Navy. We uh, got stationed around a lot, you know, across the country, Georgia, Florida, uh, and then eventually went back to the Philippines for a little bit and then settled down in Texas. Uh, there's a naval air station down in Corpus Christi. So uh, my military background is obviously extensive. It goes back to when I was born. I'm actually named after a Marine uh, a military hero, uh, Gunnery Sergeant Llewellyn Diamond. So uh, my dad read a book on him before I was born, uh, named me after him because he liked the name. And so... Uh, uh, I, I'm glad that I that I put that uh, image out, but um, uh, no, I, I've never had the pleasure. You know, well, that's the funny thing is that I mean, something gets printed on the internet or whatever, and then it just seems to perpetuate itself. Uh, uh, but no, uh, the the facts are the facts, and uh, you you, you kind of try to stick with that. And uh, uh, so I, I get asked a lot of erroneous questions. I mean, one of them is that I, I'm writing a biography on myself right now, and I'm, no, that's not happening either. <laughs> well, you should. You have an illustrious career, but I'm not done yet. That's the thing. I've got, I've got, I've got a long way to go. So I don't think it's time for the book just yet. Yeah. Now, um, I understand you've done a lot of advocacy work on behalf of veterans, uh, in particular Filipino uh, World War II veterans. Tell us about that work. Well, I'm. I'm always very, very happy to serve whenever I'm called. So I, I, I have performed services for the VA, for the USO. Um, I got to host that uh, Freedom Concert last year for, uh, for, the, uh, for the veterans that went out on July 4th. But one of the biggest things that I've done, and I'm actually quite proud of it, is that I um, did testify before Senate Subcommittee on Veterans Affairs uh, for the Filipino War veterans who had their um, veteran status rescinded after World War II. And uh, quite honestly, it was a big slap in the face. Uh, uh, they had served, they had sacrificed, they helped turn the tide of the war in the Pacific, and and then suddenly they were not recognized. They were sort of persona non grata. And uh, you know, 60 years later, um, it took myself and a few other people who formed a, a small group: uh, Fritz Friedman from Sony Pictures, Dean Devlin, a wonderful producer, Tia Carrera, Rob Schneider, myself, to try and and bring attention to this sort of injustice. And uh, we were able to, at the very least, get their uh, veteran status reinstated. And benefits for the uh, for the Filipino veterans that are here in this country. Well, what what what's left to be done? Because I I haven't heard very much about the resolution, uh, whether it's passed yeah. or where things stand right now. That particular resolution passed. Uh, they did get their veteran status back, and the ones residing in the United States uh, have benefits. However, uh, a large portion of them uh, are residing in the Philippines. They went back home, and uh, unfortunately, they are not getting the kind of services they need. So I think that that would be the remainder of the battle is to is to get everybody you know their their due. I mentioned we're here for the GI Film Festival, and I want to congratulate you on winning the GI Spirit Award. What does that mean to you? First of all, I'm incredibly honored and, and flattered by it, but uh, at the same time, extremely humbled. Um, I, I think it's a very very wonderful way to to create a liaison between Hollywood and the military, if you will. And, you know, there, there are a few of us that they get out and, and, and support the military and, and uh, try to espouse the, the values and the, um, the code that, you know, the military puts forth. And uh, at, at, uh, at the very best, you know, I, I, I think that I'm at least helping to uh, bring these stories to light, to, to elevate, you know, um, uh, the real heroism that's going on out there. You know, I, at worst, I'm a pretender to the throne and I'm, you know, just, just, just an actor. Um, and so that's what humbles me is like, you know, my contributions uh, 
pale in comparison to the real contributions that our military you know you know services perform you know every single day now I know you have a, a show on the military channel, but you're also right now I understand in Santa Fe shooting a pilot. Tell us about that. Uh, the show on the military channel is an officer in a movie, and uh, we've completed 20 episodes. It's going to be airing for the rest of this year, where we show a classic war film, whether it's you know the Dirty Dozen or uh, Heaven and Earth from Oliver Stone. Or we we, we kind of cover the gamut from um, World War II up to present day. We actually have Three Kings in the in the cycle as well. Uh, and we pair it with, you know, someone who is uh, uh, a decorated officer, you know, someone who went through an experience like that or has particular insight into what the movie's about. And uh, it's really fascinating to talk to them on the commercial breaks and, and, you know, do these interviews and get the real story and realize that, you know, these films are inspired by, by uh, true heroism and, 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 you know, true experiences. Um, the pilot that I'm working on is uh, called Longmire. It's based on the Longmire Detective novels uh, by Craig Johnson, which are amazing. They're award-winning. And uh, we just literally, I finished the pilot last night at midnight. So, yeah. And then flew to Washington to get this. Uh, Robert Taylor from the Matrix series, Katie Sackhoff from 24 and Battlestar, uh, uh, Cassidy Freeman from uh, Smallville. It's a fantastic cast and uh, some really beautiful characters. It's a contemporary Western, and there's really nothing on TV like it right now. When can we expect to, to see, or what's next? Well, that? The, the process with a pilot is, is that you, you, you film it, it gets turned over to the network, they cut it together, they look at it, they test market it, and then they decide if they're going to spend the money to turn it into a real series. So uh, uh, all things look good right now. Uh, I know the pilot went extremely well, uh, and uh, at present, Ain is very excited about it. So hopefully, hopefully we'll see it uh, sometime in the next year. Well, Lou Diamond Phillips, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. It's been an honor. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. We enjoyed meeting filmmaker Rodney Ray about his powerful film, Flag of My Father. Rodney wrote, directed, and produced the star-studded film that gave a face to post-traumatic stress disorder while expressing faith, forgiveness, healing, and family. In addition to William Devane, Flag also starred actress Gigi Ernetta of Friday Night Lights, John Snyder, best known for Dukes of Hazard, and Andrew Sensing of I Love You, Philip Morris. I'm here with my wonderful new friend, yeah. new BFF, yeah. uh, Rodney Ray, a brother from another mother. Yeah, you go. <laughs> Louisiana, Monroe, Louisiana right. fella. Rodney, your film tonight, Flag of My Father, was one of the most powerful films I've seen in a long time. I've not... I did not hear, uh, I mean, I heard so many sniffles, and, and I don't think anybody left the, the cinema right. with dry eyes. Right. How did you come up with this storyline? Well, you know, the, 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 the main part of the story came from my relationship with my dad, and the fact that he's a World War II veteran, and he's 88 years old, he's still in great health, and I attended a funeral, my mom has already passed away, and I attended a funeral of a friend's dad who passed away, and his mom had previously passed away as well, and they presented the flag uh, at the gravesite. They didn't know who to give it to, and everybody wanted it. And I realized that was going to play out in my life one day. Uh, I wish my dad was going to live forever, but I don't think he will. And since my mom's already passed on, that it would go to one of the kids, and it probably wouldn't go to me because I'm the youngest. But I, I knew I wanted it uh, more, at least in my eyes, because I share a bond with my dad as being a veteran. And uh, that what spurred the idea in my mind about the movie is about the importance of that flag. You know, when that flag flies, it just does something to all Americans. If you're an American, when you see that flag, 
it just does something to you. So that was the, the original centerpiece of the movie. Of course, it's a, we're a faith-based company, and, uh, you know, sharing our faith with others is just is equally important. So wrapping a message about that and the importance of being bold enough to sh- share your faith no matter the condition. So those are the two things that generated the, the original thought for the movie. And the rest, just a good movie. It, it's a wonderful movie, and I think you touched on something. You know, there, there for me, there's a double meaning there. I mean, I understood the emotion, mm-hmm. the, uh, but I also understood mm-hmm. the deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. How um, challenging is it for you to, to take faith-based uh, movies mm-hmm. and, and put them into the mainstream? Yeah. Well, it's a big challenge. As a matter of fact, most Christian filmmakers that I know will tell you do not try to take a Christian film and put it into the secular market because you will fail. Because what happens is, is you move away from your Christian base sometimes, and, the, and then the secular base may not support the film. And so most Christian filmmakers just preach to the choir, so to speak. But that's not what I feel called to do. I, I, I feel that, that we should do things as, you know, with quality. And... Um, and so that's my that's my attempt is to make movies that are crossover. It's not easy. It's very difficult. Uh, I don't want movies that are preachy, uh, but I do want them to have inspiration and, and a message of hope. You had a, a star-studded cast. You yeah. had William Devane. You had John Snyder. You yeah. had, I mean, how how was it challenging to 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 get those folks involved in uh, this faith-based film? Well. Fortunately for us, it was easier than I thought it would be, and only because they all liked the script so much. Because uh, William Devane has been very complimentary. You probably heard him speak tonight about how, how much he enjoyed the script. He loves the twists and turns in it. And so that's the thing about getting big actors. If they'd read the script and it's something uh, that they believe has potential or as it challenges them as an actor, then they want to be involved. And that's what our, that's what, you know, was. You know, what we had going in our favor is because they believed in the script. Maybe, you know, the message for everybody is a little bit different. But, you know, and I often describe this film like a diamond that's multifaceted. Uh, How you look at uh, the film will depend on who you are. Uh, You know, if you're a Christian, you'll see a Christian message. If you come from a blended family, you'll see that angle. If you're a veteran, you're going to love that. If you're struggling with forgiveness, as many of the actors were, you will appreciate that there's only a limited amount of time to be able to, you know, to give forgiveness. And so it depends on where you come from. And that's the thing that's been so successful with the movie uh, is that it speaks speaks to so many different audiences. Is this your first time in the GI Film Festival? Yes, it is. It is our first time in the festival. We actually have two films in here. We have this film and we have a documentary that will air uh, on Sunday. It's very powerful. It's not a faith-based uh, documentary at all. It's just about Vietnam veteran, veterans, and it's called, some call them baby killers, we call them heroes. Extremely powerful and just as emotional as a flag. Well, Ronnie, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, and thanks for coming and interviewing, and I'm glad you enjoyed the film. After the break, we'll talk to our Iraq War veteran-turned-filmmaker, Chris Lavero about his GI Film Festival entry, Journey Home. When I returned from Iraq uh, at the end of 04, I wanted to make a documentary about what it's like to come home from the experience and how it affects families. We'll also introduce you to an extraordinary man who was building partnerships between the technology community to create jobs for GIs, next on World Footprints Radio. Hello, this is Mertice Spadola from Gallery Mertice in Baltimore, Maryland, and I love World Footprint Radio.
Hi, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. A few years ago, we decided to leave our respective legal practices to live a more purposeful travel life and help others leave positive footprints. World Footprints was born and was quickly recognized for its award-winning journalism. We've covered events from the Olympics to a Titanic expedition, and we've discussed conservation, environmental, and public diplomacy initiatives. Join us for award-winning radio and visit our website, worldfootprints.com, for daily travel deals and comprehensive travel information. Hi, I'm Alex from Baltimore, Maryland, and Tanya and Ian brought me to Baltimore by listening to World Footprints Radio. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. So, there's a a very famous uh, West Point graduate that I think uh, also aided in your ability to come here. Uh, That's right. Um, One of the classmates of Bill Chadwick, uh, class of 1974, is uh, a man by the name of General Petraeus. Oh, you may have heard of him. He's only one of the greatest generals uh, we've had. and (laughs) Pretty amazing. In fact, it's interesting because I have sort of a personal uh, connection, if you want to call it that. He was was commanding the 101st Airborne Division during the invasion of Iraq. And it was actually my unit, uh, the unit that I was assigned to, the the Striker Brigade Combat Team out of Fort Lewis, that relieved the 101st. And I think, uh, I can't can't verify this, but I'm pretty sure that um, I walked by him at a combat outpost during the battle handoff between the 101st and the, and, uh, the Striker Brigade. I didn't really know who he was at the time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one thing I can say is um, the, uh, the, the soldiers are, are really, uh, they're really proud of our general. Um, you know, we feel that, you know, we just feel it's when you're deployed conducting combat operations overseas, you really want someone at the top of the food chain that you feel um, has your best interest at stake and is doing everything humanly possible to take care of your of your soldiers and and you know he is and that that means a lot to us. Welcome back. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. That was Chris Lavero, an Iraq War veteran from California, who's making a mark as a filmmaker with the release of Journey Home, his GI Film Festival entry. Journey Home is a film that Chris wrote, directed produced and acted in about an Iraq war veteran who returns home on emergency leave to inform the wife of his best friend's death while serving. I'm privileged to introduce this extraordinary soldier, filmmaker, and actor, and I know you'll be hearing more about him in the coming years. Chris, tell me about your film, The Genesis of Journey Home, and your road towards... uh The genesis of the film. Well, I'm an Iraq War veteran. When I returned from Iraq uh, at the end of 2004, I wanted to make a documentary about what it's like to come home from the experience and how it affects families. And so I started taking some film courses in Berkeley and uh, ended up going to uh, film school full-time and graduated last summer. And my senior thesis project, Journey Home, uh, is a story about a soldier who is serving in Iraq with his best friend who gets killed in an ambush and he volunteers to return home on emergency leave uh, to notify and comfort his best friend's wife. And um, many aspects of it are autobiographical, semi-autobiographical, or stories based on um, experiences that friends have had. And the film is essentially just kind of the story of of the journey of of what it's like to come home from that experience. And it, it touches upon some of the themes of, you know, 
PTSD and isolation and depression and the loss of a comrade and the effects of uh, on the family. And I, I know these are these are issues that aren't necessarily shared in mainstream media. Why did you feel it was important to touch upon these particular issues? The way I explain it is you got to look at the films I've done as having really two audiences and serving two purposes. One audience are the veterans and the message there is to let veterans know they're not alone. They're not alone. It's okay to get help. Uh, getting help is not a sign of weakness. It doesn't make you any less of a warrior. It's okay that you've been affected by this experience. And if you need to get help to deal with issues, it's okay. So that's one audience. And then the other audience uh, are, of course, civilians. And the purpose there is to not really help civilians understand what it's like to be in combat because you, you can't, but really it's about engaging them in the conversation and getting them maybe to think about some of these issues that maybe a lot of people aren't thinking about and to just kind of let them know that the soldiers and their families are making, you know, some pretty big sacrifices and sometimes the ultimate sacrifice. And, you know, that's something that I think as a society we should, you know, be aware of and acknowledge. You're kind of a, a transitionist, as, as, uh, and I thought Ian and I were going from law to broadcasting, but you started off uh, as a SWAT officer, correct? And went moved, went into the Army and, uh, and now filmmaking. I mean, that's, that's an amazing um, career track, but you've kind of come full circle because this is, this is your focus, the genre is your focus. Oh, it gets even more complicated than that. Graduated from UC Berkeley with a degree in peace studies, which is actually what brought me back into the army. Yeah, there's more of the story, but <laughs> yeah, I um, I was a police, I was a police officer with the city of Berkeley, and ironically, so I joined the reserves while I was still a police officer. Was mobilized for about 20 months. Went to Iraq for a year and ironically survived Iraq only to come back and get injured in the line of duty as a police officer. And around that, so I was off work for about a year to try and rehab and they finally um, medically retired me and that's when I went to film school. I was watching uh, your film Journey Home earlier, very, very powerful film and I'm wondering because you're also an actor, you're pursuing an acting career as well. How much of the emotion, and, and I'm, I'm referring specifically to Chapter 2, that really moved me emotionally. How much of that was, um, that emotion was pulled from real life experiences versus uh, acting skills? Well, well, it's both. Um, I am a method actor, <laughs> I guess. You could classify me as a method actor. You know, part of Chapter 2 was very autobiographical. Um, that whole scene that took place at the computer terminal where I'm trying to find um, the location of some some fallen comrades and you know that was very very dead on. Um, fortunately uh, I did not personally have to return home and do a death notification um, so again certain elements have been pulled from my own personal experience and some were just kind of you know from friends. Uh, yeah it was well you know this brings up a good point something that I would actually like to, to touch upon and that's that how I kind of got into this whole thing and being in front of camera is an interesting story it happened serendipitously my first project at film school I was casting um, for an Iraq war veteran for the scene that I was going to do and it turns out there aren't any at least in the Bay Area I just couldn't find any Iraq or Afghanistan war veterans who were acting so at the last minute I 
decided what the heck I'm just going to put myself in the hot seat and, and, and I'll do it I just felt as a director that a, a non-veteran actor couldn't bring the authenticity that I wanted to the role and you know other directors would disagree with that but you know it was a direct it was a it was a choice I made and so by doing that it turns out that acting was a great form of catharsis for me and so I just kind of pursued that more and more and you know it led up to being in the, the film journey home that's here at the festival and uh, and so now I'm trying to promote acting and the arts and filmmaking uh, as a form of catharsis for veterans that's wonderful now, and, and how far have you taken that what what's what's your next uh, step after the film festival what do you have planned next well, since I graduated from film school last semester, I've been using the post-9-11 GI Bill to study acting, and I've been taking classes at the College of Marin uh, in California and also currently at the City College of San Francisco. And I've been doing some, I've had some small roles in TV and independent films and just trying to, you know, get, get my skill set there and see where it takes me. Chris, you have a really interesting story about how you got here. I was screening a film of mine uh, about PTSD at a conference in San Jose. And um, after the conference, I was approached by a friend of mine, Bill Chadwick, who uh, is a West Point graduate, uh, retired Army officer, founder and executive director of the California Veterans Support Foundation, uh, which is affiliated with uh, the Veterans Home in Yauntville, California. And he and some of his fellow classmates uh, from the class of 1974 of West Point got together and uh, raised some funds to get me out here to D.C. to promote my film at the GI Film Festival. Wow, and I know this is your first time here. What do you think so far? Phenomenal. Um, Just to have a film festival specifically dedicated to the military, to honor the military, is I think it's the only one, in, maybe in the world, certainly in the United States. And I have to tell you that um, yesterday, we toured Walter Reed Hospital, and we spent time with some wounded Marines and soldiers, uh, some of whom were, are triple amputees. And just to see the way they carried on and their spirit was so inspirational, and it, it gave me so much more perspective. I mean, as a combat veteran, they gave me even more perspective of what it means to serve and they made me even more proud to wear the uniform and it just it's just so amazing the the will and the drive of the spirit of these terribly wounded uh warriors you have a friend here from west point what is your name it's richard huh so i am actually a friend and classmate of laura law millet the founder of the gi film festival do you think people are leaving with the impression that the founders laura and brandon wanted them to leave with i i believe so because the, the message was or the mission of this film festival at least was to honor the successes and sacrifices of our armed forces I think we're doing that. It's, you know, I think it's small pockets at a time because not everyone knows about this film festival. You know, maybe everyone knows about the Con or the, the Sundance, Robert Redford Sundance Film Festival. But, you know, I think our vision and I think Lauren Brandon's vision is to make this the next Sundance. You know, make the military more mainstream and put them in a positive light. And I think uh, it's through these incremental small steps that I think they are connecting with viewers, and the word is getting out, certainly. And, Chris, I want to see you back here next year because I know you have more stories than you. Uh, that's true. Well, there's a lot of stories to be told. I mean, I, I think the, the sacrifice that a lot of these uh, young men and women are making are just amazing. And I think it's important that the American public uh, is aware of that and, it's, uh, and it can appreciate that. You know, again, visiting Walter Reed and seeing... 
you know, soldiers and, and Marines that, you know, have lost both of their legs and maybe they have, you know, one, one arm that's kind of working and they have TBI, but they're just driving on, you know. They just won't accept, um, they won't concede, you know. They just, they live their lives and just to see their, their wives there supporting them and just carrying on with an attitude of, you know, driving on, Semper Fi, uh, it, it's just so, I can't tell you how inspiring it is. Uh, and, and it, again, it makes me even more proud to wear the uniform. Well, I'm, I'm proud as a citizen, and I'm, I'm very, very grateful to both of you for what you're doing for your service and really your love of humanity. Many veterans like Chris and others continue their service to America when they return home. I met one such veteran, Jerome, who is building partnerships to technology and manufacturing companies to give new opportunities to returning veterans in rebuilding America's economy. I'm here with my new friend, Jerome. And Jerome, I understand you are an Iraqi war veteran as well. Yes, that's correct. How many uh, tours did you serve and, and, and where? Uh, I did two tours in 2005 and 2006 uh, in Fallujah and Haditha. And uh, you're doing some great things. You're 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 done, right? So you're doing some great things stateside to help support other veterans. Tell us about your program. Yes. Uh, well, right now I'm medically retired. Um, I'm the president of the Veterans Club at Skyline College. Uh, so my veterans asked me, uh, or asked my veterans, uh, if if I could, if there's anything that they were interested in. They were interested in electric cars. So I started up an electric car program. Uh, to train veterans to be electric car technicians, to get a free laptop, to have a stipend, and to have it all be independent of the GI Bill. So it's already funded, it's already ready to go in June. Um, I also had a Tesla uh, interested in the program. I asked them if they were interested in hiring veterans who went through this program. And they stuck up to the plate and told me that they wanted to hire veterans now. So I had a big event on April 22nd, which is Earth Day. I had the congresswoman of our district, Congresswoman Spears. She came down and spoke at our event. And we had Tesla recruiters there. They saw almost about 100 veterans. And now we're in talks right now. I just had an interview with them or a meeting with them last Wednesday. They're, going to, they, they're looking at about 18 of the veterans from that event. And they really liked it. So they asked me to form another event. And this time they said bring hundreds. Bring as many veterans as we can possibly find. And we're going to base it off of the ones that they pick now, what kind of qualifications, qualifications they're looking for. And we're going to get those veterans funneled straight to Tesla right now to get hired right away. And they're hiring about 1,500 veterans, or 1,500 employees. I'm going to try and make sure that they're all veterans. <laughs> now, how can people find out about this program if they want to support you? I'm, I'm assuming you need some uh, public support as well. Yes, uh, well, I've done, I've done TV interviews. We had Channel 2 News at our event. We had San Mateo Times and San Jose Mercury News. It was front page news there. I had a reporter call from New York. Um, but if we could get the word out any other way, I'm, I'm forming a website right now uh, to pass, the, pass more information on. And, uh, I, well, it's not out yet, but it's going to be called Joint Force Veterans. And I will have all the information there. Uh, but right now, um, I, I, I don't really have a place where you can go to look it up. 
if you, if, if you could just have the veterans contact Tesla or contact myself. I could give you my contact information after this. Uh, I don't have business cards. I'm just the president of a veterans club. and you know. But uh, it's turned into a really big program. And now that it's uh, gotten to the East Coast, Nissan has approached me. And now Nissan wants to hire veterans. And they want me to do the same thing with, that I, with them as I have done with Tesla. So this will be, mean more jobs for the veterans coming home. So I'm looking forward to it, working with them. Thank you so much for your service. I appreciate it. <laughs> Well, you know, I wish I could do more, uh, but it seems like the mission's accomplished, so Obama and General Petraeus are doing a great job, and I'm very, very happy uh, that uh, pretty much the mission is uh, pretty much almost accomplished, I would say. Up next, actor Sean Kanan will stop by to talk about his journey from the Midwest to Europe, and finally Hollywood. Uh, I got my big break um, with Karate Kid 3, you know, I, I was, uh, there was an open call, I stood in line with approximately 2,000 hopefuls with John Avelson, who was the director of Rocky and won the Academy Award, etc. You know, walked up and down the line and, and eventually chose me to go and do a screen test. And Next on World Footprints Radio. Hi, my name is Elaine and I'm from California and I like World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio is an award-winning broadcast and leader in socially conscious travel. Hosts Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick bring you entertaining and informative interviews with well-known celebrities, newsmakers, authors and industry professionals. From environmental leaders like Bobby Kennedy Jr. and David Rockefeller Jr. to conservationists like actress Stephanie Powers and director Ken Burns. Tune in to hear travel journalism at its best. Visit unique places from around the world and stop by the worldfootprints.com website for comprehensive travel information including special daily travel deals. Hey, this is Amy. I'm from Manitoba. Woo, Manitoba. I love listening to World Footprints Radio. It rocks my socks. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Sean Keenan is an internationally renowned actor best known for his iconic role as Deacon Sharp in the daytime drama The Young and the Restless. Sean plays a devilishly sexy bad boy, but in real life he is anything but. In fact, he's so busy with his multiple interests from martial arts, cooking, comedy, advocacy, film projects, and more that he doesn't really have time to be too naughty. And luckily for us, he's set aside a little bit of time to join us. And Sean, I'd like to welcome you to World Footprints. Tanya, thank you very much. It's nice to be here. Uh, and just, I just like to, I just like to let you know that I, I actually am devilishly sexy in my real life too. So <laughs> the, bio, the bio is actually wrong. Oh well, you know, I, you have a lawyer here if you ever get into trouble. So. <laughs> But really, you know, you are so, you're always on the go. When we talked earlier, you're rushing out and, you know, and you have so many, you really have a well-rounded, uh, eclectic uh, group of interests. Is there anything that you don't do? I love what I do, and whatever I do, I get as involved as I can. So, um, you know, some people might see it as being a little bit of a workaholic, but, I mean, for me, I, I just love what I do, whether it be acting, producing, you know, my, my, my advocacy work, whatever. So um, I don't look at it like work. I just... It, it's, those, it, it's those good Midwestern values, I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, 
it's funny you say that because I really do still consider, in a lot of ways, you know, Pennsylvania to be my home and where I come from. And I think there, it's funny when one person from sort of the Midwest meets another one. Um, I, I think it right off the top gives you a bit of a frame of reference for how that person probably grew up and, and values and everything. Indeed, indeed. Now, you know, how did so a nice guy from the Midwest uh, make the trek to uh, the Northeast, uh, or Europe, and, and Hollywood? Uh, you know, I think, I think from a very young age I knew that I wanted to act, um, and it, it, it became, at that point, just figuring out how I was going to go about doing it. I mean, when I was in, I went to boarding school, and when I was in boarding school, uh, I unfortunately attracted the nickname Hollywood because I, I made the mistake of <laughs> telling some of the other kids that I was going to go out to Hollywood and become an actor. Well, you know, you tell a bunch of 15-year-old guys that when you're a 15-year-old guy, and, you know, of course they're going to they're gonna give you some, some ribbing. So um, I knew at that point that it was just a matter of time. I enrolled in Boston University. I was studying political science. And uh, by the end of my sophomore year, I decided that uh, I was going to relocate to uh, Los Angeles and finish up at, uh, at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, came, up, came up to Los Angeles, and I was able to find a manager pretty quickly uh, in a relatively short amount of time, less than a year. Uh, I got my big break um, with Karate Kid 3. You know, I, I was, uh, there was an open call. I stood in line with approximately 2,000 hopefuls while John Abelson, who was the director of Rocky and won the Academy Award, et cetera, you know, walked up and down the line and, and eventually chose me to go and do a screen test, and sort of the rest is, is kind of history for me. But you, you, so you mentioned you studied uh, poli-sci, and, but you didn't really pursue acting at, at BU or UCLA. How did you, uh, I mean, did you have any training before Karate Kid 3? No, yeah, I, I was actually studying with uh, Roy London, who is, he's passed on, but Roy is considered to be, you know, one of the best acting teachers, I think, ever. His his teacher was Uta Hagen. Uh, I had some really, uh, just a who's who of Hollywood in my acting class, from um, Brad Pitt to, you know, Daryl Hannah, Sharon Stone, Jim Belushi, you know, all these people studied with my teacher. Uh, David Spade, Adrian Paul from The Highlander. You know, you, talking about Karate Kid 3, it seems that even today fans continue to take the mickey out of you for uh, for the beating that you <laughs> took in the film. <laughs> but uh, but you may uh, have an opportunity to one-up uh, Ralph from uh, your appearance on the Italian version of Dancing with the Stars. How far did you get in that competition? And I lasted about nine weeks. And, but I, I actually haven't seen the American one, but I understand Ralph is... is, is He's still. I heard he was doing very well. Yeah, yeah. He he was on the block. I think uh, last Monday, but he survived. Yes, I mean that was that was an incredible experience. You know, I had never lived in a foreign country, and here I am. You know, American fish out of water. I'm living in Rome, and uh, at the time I had been studying Italian, but really, you know, did not speak very well. I mean, now I'm almost fluent, um, but it was a weird experience. Um, you know, the the. The dancing itself was very difficult. We rehearsed like three hours a day. Uh, and, and to do it in a, in a foreign language and try and understand what the judges were saying and to learn the, the choreography, uh, it, was, it was a lot, but it was an unbelievable experience. 
Um, I just got back from Italy. I was there over Christmas and New Year's, and I have friends there um, that are lifelong friends. I mean, they've come to see me here in the States. I've stayed with them. Here's an interesting thing for anyone who's listening. Um, I was over in Italy with my girlfriend and one of my dearest friends, Pierpaolo, and he lives in this medieval town called Viterbo, and the streets are very, very narrow, and they're sort of cobblestone. Mm. So he had, he had this car called the Cinquecento, which means uh, 500, and it's, it's, you could fit this thing into a smart car. That's how small <laughs> it is. And so I was in the passenger seat. He was driving, and my girlfriend was in the back, and we had filled the car up with gas, and I said, do you guys smell some gasoline leaking? So we stopped. We checked it out. Didn't see anything. We went and grabbed the coffee. We come back out. We start the car, and I hear, poof. And the back of the car where the engine is ignites. Now the car is burning. And so, you know, we all get out of the car, and my girlfriend left her very expensive camera in there. And, of course, being the actor, producer I am, I went back, got the camera. I gave it to her. I said, start filming. Oh. And I ran inside, <laughs> and I, I got a fire extinguisher. But... The long and the short of what I'm trying to say is that the entire thing is on YouTube. So if anybody wants to see this, all i got to do is put Sean Kanan, uh, Italy Car Fire, and you'll see how we set uh, a Cinquecento car on fire uh, this past uh, <laughs> holiday. Yeah. Yeah, well, just a warning, don't do this at home, right? So. No, do not. So. Oh, Lord, Sean. Now, you know, you, how, well, how did you end up in Italy in the first place when you, when you moved there? How did you end um, up there? I, well, I initially ended up in Italy because I was hired to do a film. I did a film called uh, Fili d'Italia, which means Sons of Italy, which was uh, a really terrific uh, film uh, about, there was, it's a true story, a group of uh, Italian uh, merchant marine sailors uh, were on a ship that was boarded by Algerian terrorists. Uh, the terrorists killed all of the sailors. It was a, a demonstration against uh, what was then the G7 conference. Mm. So I, w- I was hired to do this movie. I played the captain of the ship, um, and we actually stayed in the town for about two months where all the sailors came from, and it was you know pretty emotional. Um, so one of the producers on that film also worked as an agent in Rome, once I was back in L.A., she called me and said, would you like to come to Italy and do Bailando con le Stelle? And I said, well, what is Bailando con le Stelle? And she <laughs> said, it's dancing with stars. And I said, yeah, sure, I guess, I think. I can't dance, but what the hell? Next <laughs> uh, I knew I was living in Italy, and um, um, it, it was just amazing. It really was. Yeah. Now, um, you know, as a dancer, you know, there you, you know, some may, may think because you're a martial artist, that dancing would have been easy, but it's a whole different skill set, a whole different muscle yeah. group. <laughs> it, it actually kind of worked against me a little bit. Um, you know, I had the discipline aspect down, but um, the way that a lot of the stances are in the martial art that I studied um, were very sort of, you know, strong and, and inflexible, and it's the antithesis to what you want for dancing, so um, it didn't really help me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what form of martial arts do you do you practice? Well, I started studying um, Shotokan and Shitaru, which is Japanese, mm-hmm. and um, from there I wound up studying uh, American kickboxing, uh, and I also studied Jikindo, um, which is uh, the style that Bruce Lee actually created, which was an assimilation of a lot of different. Uh, um, 
Chinese martial arts. Right, right. You know, um, one of the things that I, I love about you when I was reading, you love cooking, and I'm going to make oh, a yeah. <laughs> I'm to make a comment to you. And I, the last time I made this comment to uh, to to somebody, it was an Italian chef that uh, we interviewed in New Orleans. Um, he actually proposed marriage to me, but <laughs> my comment. <laughs> On air, on live interview in front of my husband. So we had, I think both of us were so uh, shocked that we had a little bit of dead air time. Uh, but, uh. but I love men who can cook, and I think it's one of the most sexiest attributes a man can have. So yeah. bravo. Yeah. yeah, no, I love cooking. Um, as a matter of fact, um, I, I'm, I'm working on two books right now, and one of them is actually... Uh, it's a it's a book about cooking and entertaining, and I'll tell you a funny story. One of the chapters is called Showdown at the Coliseum. And when I was in Rome, I had a friend who owned arguably the coolest bachelor pad on the planet. He was about <laughs> 30 meters away from the Coliseum. And he's uh, just got this in- incredible pad, and we started talking about cooking one night, and he said that he thought that uh, you know Italian chefs were the best in the world. And I said, well, you know, I think they're pretty good. I said, I think there's some pretty brilliant American chefs. And before you knew it, we had decided that we were going to have a cook-off. We're going to have a, a challenge in the kitchen. And so what we decided was there was this group of, of models that we were trying to um, get to know better, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And we decided that we were going to invite the girls over for dinner the following week, and we would each cook three dishes, and that the girls would decide who won. So... Um, after we made this challenge, it occurred to me that I had just challenged an Italian to cook Italian food in Italy for <laughs> Italians. I said, what am I thinking? And, you know, in the book I write about how in the shadow of the Colosseum, I was reminded of the, uh, uh, the not-so-great record that foreigners had doing battle in the Colosseum. Um, I love to cook. It's a way of bridging the chasm between not knowing somebody and then being a really good friend. There's just something about breaking bread with somebody, mm-hmm. and when they see you cooking... And here's the thing, you know, on a very visceral, biological level, when you're feeding someone, you're, you're basically helping their survival, right? We need food to survive. Sure. So I think on a, on a subconscious level, when you're feeding someone... You're saying, I'm committed to your survival. And I, I just think that, that that somehow people connect with that. In my family, cooking is an expression of love, and so um, I, I join you in that. And I'd love to, uh, love to have a cook-off with you in D.C. one day. You've, uh, you've done a lot of traveling, Sean, and you certainly have an affinity with, with Italy, but um, you've also toured with the USO. Talk about that experience and what it meant to you to support our troops in the way you did. Well, I have, I have tremendous respect for anyone who's in our, uh, our armed services and for their families as well, because obviously, you know, the families of our soldiers have, uh, you know, a tremendous responsibility to bear to. And uh, it's, it's funny, actually, one of my biggest regrets in life, and people are always surprised to hear this, is that I, I didn't go into the military for a while. I wish, I wish I'd done that. Anyway, when I got the opportunity to go uh, with USO to go entertain the troops, uh, I jumped at it. We went to Bosnia and Kosovo, and we went to Skopje, Macedonia, and um, you know it was, a, it was a tremendous experience. I went with Terry Bradshaw, with now Senator Al Franken, uh, downtown Julie Brown, the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. Uh, who else went? 
couldn't remember who else went. And, you know, I did stand-up, and it was just amazing. Uh, we were based out of Rome, oddly enough, and then would fly out of Aviano Air Force Base uh, every, um, every morning to go and uh, go to our destinations. You know, to get to see these young kids that are like 18 years old and, you know, not getting to be with their families for Christmas and making that sacrifice on our behalf, it was just really moving. Sure. Um, not, to, not to mention that as you know, a comedian, when you're performing in front of uh, 5,000 people that have M16s, it's, it's a little bit daunting. Um, yeah. You know, it, was, it was funny. I was doing my routine, and you know, some of the jokes were not kidding. And I'm like, what's going on? And then when I got off, they were like, well, you know, we had, to, we had to tell you, it is a multinational peacekeeping force. And there were a lot of people from, a lot of soldiers from, like, Russia and other places in the audience that didn't speak English. So <laughs> it was kind of... <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, well, you know, next time you're learning Italian, you pick up a little bit of Russian here and there, and you're good to go. Exactly, exactly. So, Now, is is there one destination that, you know, going back to travels, is there one destination that you're just dying to visit that you haven't seen yet? Wow. Um, There's so many places that I want to go to that I haven't. um, I'd like to go to Africa. Mm-hmm. I just think that would be really incredible to go, uh, you know, do a, do a safari, go to Africa. Um, and I would also like to go to uh, Japan just because of my martial arts training. I would love to you know, see some of the temples and that sort of stuff. Um, I've been fortunate. I've been everywhere from Borneo to, um, you know, Bora Bora. Uh, I've been to a lot of very cool places. So and I, and I love traveling. I mean, I'm absolutely would consider myself a, a world traveler, and and I, I try and travel as often as as I can. Oh, excellent. Love people like you, and and certainly you know people like you who give back as well when you when you're uh, when you're traveling. Oh, thank you. So, um, but you're getting ready to uh, go into production for a new film. So maybe the traveling. Yeah, I'm really we'll excited about that. Tell tell us about my trip back to the dark side. Talking about travel, uh, that kind okay. of sounds ominous. <laughs> a friend of mine, by the name of Shane Stanley, asked me about a year ago to do a film called My Trip to the Dark Side, and uh, Shane won an Emmy when he was about 16 years old. And he executive produced a film called uh, The Gridiron Gang, starring uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Mm-hmm. It was the number one film at the box office, so I, I didn't really want to say no to Shane. Uh, we did the film on a shoestring budget, and uh, we just found out that yesterday, yesterday, it won the gold, uh, the gold medal award at the World Fest Film Festival, which is in Houston. Right. The film has not been released as of yet. But they raised the money to do the sequel based upon, um, you know, the, the good buzz that the first one got. Uh, so we're going to be doing uh, the second one called My Trip Back to the Dark Side. I'm going to be reprising my character uh, of David Prince, who is, he is a porno producer. Uh, but it's an amazing character to play. And, you know, I like to do a lot of research when I do a role. So a friend of mine knew a guy who knew a guy that was involved in, Pornos. He was. Uh, he's a director. He actually won the Amer- the Adult Video Award for Best Adult Film Director. So this guy, I call him up, and the guy was nice enough to basically allow me to hang out with him for a couple days. Took me around, showed me his business, uh, told me how a lot of things work, and uh, it's been a tremendous 
kind of research um, research tool, and uh, I'm really looking forward to starting this film. Uh, Sean Young is going to be in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Becky Russell, who has been in all the Saw movies, and I, it's just a terrific script. It's, I mean, it's edgy. It's you know an adult script, but it's also got a lot of humor in it. And uh, uh, my girlfriend Michelle is actually uh, a co-producer on the film, and which is great because Michelle and I love to work together. She's a, a very gifted producer. Uh, she and I actually just finished another project, um, which is going to be unbelievable. It's I did a rap video, comedic rap video called "I'm a Soap Star," and in it, uh, Ron Moss from Bold and the Beautiful's in it, and Josh Morrow from Young and the Restless, and it is hilarious. It's got phenomenal production value. We're in the final stages of editing it uh, right now, and uh, I, I think people are going to see this thing and go bonkers. So. Um, Michelle and I own um, several cameras, like the, you know, the Red, which they're shooting a lot of movies on the Red camera, and a couple 5Ds, mm-hmm. so we've got the, the unique ability to get out there and actually make stuff, so we, we're, we're always, you know, uh, shooting something, and she said, what do you want to do next, and I said, I don't know, I, let's do a video, let's do a rap video, uh, Dr. Dre's son, uh, Curtis Young, who's about to launch <laughs> or drop his album, he's in it. It's, it's, it's crazy. Oh, it's really man. funny. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that when uh, when it comes out. When when do you expect it to be released? Um, we'll be done editing it in a couple, probably two weeks. Okay. Um, we're trying to figure out what we want to do with it, whether we want to release it in Italy. Um, I mean, it's your diet for sure. But I think people will be able to see it within the next six weeks. Okay, good deal. Now, um, finally, before we go, and if Sean- you follow me on Twitter, which is Sean Kane, and they'll know all about it and what I'm up to. So I'm always trying to be a, a, a Twitter, uh, you know, magnet. So anyone who wants to sign up for Twitter with me, that's great. I'll let you know what's going on. You'll know when the videos come e- out. Excellent. Well, I'm I'm following you now, so I'll uh, I'll, oh, I'll post that. Sure. Now I know you also spend a lot of time writing. Uh, what are you working on now? My big project of passion that I'm writing right now is my book, which is called Freeing David. Freeing David is a sort of a semi-autobiographical self-help book. It uses the story of how did Michelangelo create David. He stared and stared at a block of marble until he saw David, and then he chipped away everything that wasn't David until there was only David. Mm. And the, the metaphor is that we all have a masterpiece that exists within us just waiting to be revealed to the world. And so the book is broken up in a series of chapters that deal with everything from control to fear, the inner child and the inner critic and, and all of that sort of stuff. And I use the experiences from my life as a backdrop for that. And um, I'm hoping that I'm going to have this done in uh, this year because uh, I would very much like to get it out because I honestly believe that there's some stuff, you know, I've, I've had some rough times. Uh, I've gone through a lot of stuff. And if I can be of any help to anybody through my experiences, I, I have to share it. You know, I don't put myself out there as some kind of great philosopher or super, super evolved cat. I'm just a guy who's writing about some stuff that happened to me and trying to figure it out like everybody else. Well, bless you. I certainly, you know, you have an open invitation to come back on World Footprints oh, and you. and share that because that's what we're okay. about here. Absolutely. Well, Sean Cannon, I appreciate you joining us today on World Footprints, my dear. And I, and I too, look forward to the time we meet. Honey, thank you so much. It was a pleasure and thank you to, to all your listeners. And to the men and women who have served our country, we thank you. And we thank you for sharing this time with us today. We always look forward to seeing you here and to connecting with you on our multiple platforms and social networks. You can find links to everything and sign up for our newsletter and travel deal alerts at worldfootprints.com.
www.tanyaneanfitz.com. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again next week. And until then, we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. Banff National Park. Natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio. They spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps. There are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio is a presentation of Travel and On Media Productions, LLC. All rights reserved.